we have been doing a series on end, end times. And man, we have covered basically on questions people would ask. We had a QR code that people could throw in questions. We're coming to the end of the series. But uh, I mean, different things about who the Antichrist is. Is there a rapture? What about the tribulation? And we've talked about the second coming of Christ. We've done the millennial year, the uh, final attack, the final judgment. And last week we talked about the new heaven and new earth. And hopefully you've been enjoying these uh, series, message, messages we've been doing on last days. We are coming to the end. I, that's just my, my personal opinion. The last days started at Acts. You can't get around that. I mean, Peter quoted from Old Testament, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. And that was under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and, and he wasn't corrected. That was, the, that was the clock. The church age is the beginning of the last age. But we are coming to the end of the end. You can watch the news and see what's going on. Look, you know what I mean, we know that one of the key factors is a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, and that the Antichrist will violate that halfway through. And you can get into the whys or hows and, and whatnot, but you know, you hear the news about them working on a peace treaty again. You hear, hear how uh, they're working on a seven-year peace treaty or a seven-year treaty with other nations of the world. Daniel said that the, the Antichrist would sign uh, not only a peace treaty with Israel, but with many nations. They're all working toward the 2030 rule, trying to save the earth and, and create equality globally. And although that might sound, and again, you can disagree with me on stuff. We can stay in unity and disagree on some stuff. If you can't learn to live with that level of relationship, then you won't stay married long. It just, it is what it is. Because you don't agree on everything, but you stay in unity. But you have to understand when these nations are getting together and they're talking about the UN or whoever, and they're talking about global equality, they're not talking about equality amongst the Americans. It's quiet. They'll sell on our, our side of the news and media saying, well, the rich need to pay their fair share, and everybody thinks billionaires. But if you slept on a pillow last night and you have more than one pair of shoes, you are in the top 8% of the income of the world. So when they say it, you better understand this phrasing of context. Who are they saying needs to pay their fair share? They're not just talking about billionaires, they're talking about every American. Well, I don't make much money. If you, if you make minimum wage, you are rich compared to the rest of the world. But most people, all we know is America, all we know is our little world, and all we know is this is the way everybody is, and it's not the case. We have a lot of churches in the Philippines, and I'll take you there. If you make $150 a month in, in the Philippines, you are very well taken care of in the affairs of life, and that's a month. And their McDonald's and their gasoline is more expensive than ours. How do they survive? They survive by growing their own food and selling it to each other. So it's a different world. And so a lot of things are happening. A lot of things are coming to the end. Someone asked, is the, was the COVID shot or the shutdown anything compared to the mark of the beast? I believe this is all developing the systems that's moving toward this idea. Now this is, again, my opinion. I believe the World Health Organization, they were wanting to test the power. The powers that be wanted to find out how much they could get and pull off 
to get everybody to shut down. That's just my opinion. You can disagree with it. But power is dangerous in the hands of evil people. You've got to realize that. They don't care about, oh, they're just trying to, no, they got their own agendas. We want, to, we want to believe that everybody at the top is super smart and has a right motive, motive. but they aren't. They might be smart, but they can be smart in their understanding, but the Bible says that they're foolish because God laughs at the enemies, how they think they're wise, but his ways are so much greater. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What am I telling you? Don't be surprised. Just don't be caught off guard. Don't be in fear. Don't be in fear, for God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and a love and a sound mind. So you don't go, oh, no, what's going to happen? Listen, if you're a child of God, you're on the winning team. You do what the Lord shows you to do. Right? And, I mean, and the vaccination wasn't the mark of the beast. I'm not saying that. But they have developed and are developing, and they introduce, and they introduce, and they introduce little by little more and more to where people are more accommodating to what's coming. Yep. That technology is out there. That technology is out there. I mean, Amazon, and I'm not promoting the company. I use the company. I like it. But they just, with their Whole Foods, created a technology that you can scan, you can scan the palm of your hand or your phone, link it to your credit card, and now when you go to Whole Foods, you don't need anything. You just put your hand over it and it pays. Is that the mark of the beast? No, but it's moving closer to a system where people are comfortable paying off their hand. See the point? It gets a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. They already have the technology in the medical field to put something under your skin that will monitor your body. That's where, you know, I have one of these watches that monitors, you know, the steps. I remember first getting, you're trying to do all the steps, and I figured out how to crack that system. I used to give it to my daughter when she was much younger. I say, here, you wear it and go run around the house. I got my quota in. But they're developing the technology where they can monitor your health and be re- able to record it to a global system to notify them when you're sick, even before you're aware that you're sick. And then track. And right now they have the ability to, remember with COVID, they were able to track not only where you're at, but who you also were in contact with. And if you don't think that's scary, look at what China's been doing for the last few years. Literally control everything. They wear stuff in their clothes so that the government knows where they're at at all times. And they have to, they have to make sure that they do enough good to prove, provide the reason that they need to continue to be in, this, in society. That was, that was Marxism. That gets in also in communism. Literally, where their goal was that people would go before board every so many years and give reason why they have done enough for society that they should continue to live. That was tried out years ago. Most of us don't read history and don't know what's coming down. But all of a sudden they can say, we need to take care of Mother Earth and we got to cut down population. And so if you, if you can't prove that you're contributing to society, then we're not going to let you have the right to live anymore. All of a sudden, the, the value of life has changed. Why? Because one day, they get people in the fear that if you don't have a mark, that you need to be killed. And people won't re- revolt over it. They'll celebrate it out of fear. But it's not one step. 
it's a lot of little steps. It's a lot of little steps. But for us as believers, we don't have to be afraid. We're not going to be here when the mark shows up my opinion. You can read, you can go back to the YouTube and some of our other uh, messages and we, we spell that out and give scriptures. Now some people believe in the church world that they will be and they're welcome to hang out. Me, I'm going. I'm going up. I'll watch from the banister of heaven and pray for him. Go ahead and answer that. Tell him I'm not available. But that's just the, the reality. We don't want to be alarmed or nervous or in fear, for God has not given us spirit of fear, but we need to be awake. We need to be awake. And so uh, it, it's very important as Christians that we wake up that we can't just do business as usual, because business as usual doesn't really work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to give you a reference. Paul says that on this side of eternity, we see through glass dimly. It's like looking through a glass, it's got fingerprints and smudges, and you can't tell clearly what's going on. You see some stuff. On this side of eternity, that's how it is. We don't know everything. We know in part. But one day when we cross over into eternity, then we're going to know as we are known. We're going we're to know some stuff. And heaven is real. Heaven is amazing. Heaven's so amazing that God won't show us heaven. That's how awesome heaven is. It's so, God, the scripture gives us some details. And maybe you've known people, and we got people in church that have had situations where they, uh, they have gone to heaven. I look out in the crowd and I see Mr. Ingram, who many years ago was having open heart surgery. And if it's okay if I share this story. And while he was on the table, the power went out. They had his heart out of the body, out of his chest, onto a table, with thing, all these tubes hooked up, keeping them alive, and the power goes out. Well, then they have a backup generator. That went out. And for 15 minutes, he was flatlined with no power, keeping him alive. But they were able to bring him back. And his wife told me that when the surgeon came to the waiting area afterwards, and it was all done, that he was so nervous she could see his hands trembling. And he said, he's, he's alive, he's okay. And, uh, if he, and he made a comment, if he doesn't have religion, I bet he does now. <laughs> he had no idea, because he was out, what was going on. But what he, so that's what was happening in the natural. But what they didn't know is what he was dealing with on the other side, because he woke up in heaven. And this is a conversation that I've had one-on-one -on -one with him when it happened. And he said, Pastor, every blade of grass was amazing. The sounds, and he, and he talked to family and friends and was talking about how amazing. You know, it, have, folks, it's going to, we have to be glorified to get there or to have, because we can't handle how good God is on our own. And he was able to spend some time in heaven, and then he said he heard a voice and saying, you can't stay, you got to go back. I've never heard people when they've been in heaven get back to earth and say, mm, I'm so glad I'm back. <laughs> Heaven's so amazing that if we literally all could spend 10 minutes there, we wouldn't want to live. Right. We'd all be like, get this thing over with, Jesus. No, I have a reason for you. I don't care about your reason. I want to get back. It's like all of a sudden you realize that filet you've been eating is really slop compared to what they're serving in heaven. You're like, get me out. You know, you don't know how bad things are until you're, right? 
You know, as a kid, we grew up poor. We just didn't know we were poor. And all of a sudden, you're not poor anymore. You're like, I don't want to go back to that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But God has a purpose and a reason. And on this side, we don't see everything. But on that side, we'll know as we know. And Paul used a phrase in, in one translation that says, but until then, faith, hope, and love remain. Until, say, until then. Today, I want to talk about the idea of until then. That'll be the title of today's message, until then, while we're on this side. Someone asks, what am I supposed to do? Well, what are we, you know what I mean, until these things we've been talking about, the last days, the end times, the tribulation, all those things are going to happen. They're not happening yet. Things are winding up. Things are getting closer. Even in Matthew 24, Jesus said that it will be like uh, birth pains on the earth. Romans 8 says that even creation groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So don't you understand, the earth and the animals and the natural side have all been under this curse that Adam put everybody under. And they're groaning, waiting for the, man, for the things to change. But Jesus said as it gets closer, it'll be like birth pains. Wars, rumors of wars, hurricanes and typhoons, all these things, which if you know when a woman's having birth pains, they get closer together and they get more extreme. And things in the world are getting closer together, the catastrophes, and they're getting more extreme. But we still have some ways to go. Now, how long that is, I don't know. Only, only God knows. But the lease will be up soon. We are close. And this is the time for us to be ready. Not just saying, oh, it'll, I'm fine, I'll do my own thing. And one day I'll get right with God. No, how do you know that you're going to be ready? Stay ready. Amen. Until then. Amen. Until then. Jesus gave a parable and he said that there was a, a master and he gave his, his servants money and he was leaving. He said, I'm going to go to another place and receive my kingdom there and then I'll be back. And he used a phrase that we use a lot in the church. I believe there's a lot of wisdom to this in our season of until then. And he said the phrase, occupy till I come. The reason God just doesn't let us get saved and suck us up into heaven and saying, okay, here's another one, let's get them in quick, is because there's an assignment, a purpose for all of our lives. You would think it would be better if someone prayed the prayer and said, okay, you prayed the prayer and bam, they would disappear and go right into heaven. Woohoo, they made it. But if that worked, who would let them in the prayer? God wants us to stay on this earth, but he doesn't want us to stay around as victims. He doesn't want us to just stay around floating. He doesn't just want us to stay around because we're just trying to pay bills and deal with problems and crazy people from time to time, um, or if, unless you've got crazy people in your family, then on a daily basis. But either way, uh, don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your family. Don't definitely look at your spouse. Uh, but God doesn't want us just to go through the routine of, the, of life like the rest of the world is. We have to understand that within the context of the routine, there is an assignment, some for us to do. He wants us to occupy Amen. till he comes. 
That means do what you know to do. I'm going to give you some details on that. Just, and this is not going to be the all-inclusive of any subject. No message by any minister gives you the all-inclusive of everything. But I believe it's a good start. Have you ever heard of this? This is always a good place to start. The Great Commandment. One day, an attorney, and the, the behind the scene of the story is the attorney is, the, the back story is the attorney was colluding with some of the religious and they were trying to entrap Jesus. Because under the context of the law, if you break one of the laws, you broke them all, right? So if you did one and you erred or made a mistake or sinned against one, you sinned against all of them. And so the, the attorney, which would, you would think would be a smart person, and, and he colluded with these religious people, and it's amazing how that still can play out. But uh, the attorney went up to Jesus and said, good master, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What are they doing? They were enticing him into a conversation to entrap him because if he gave out one, he would have been in violation of the, the law of Moses because according to the law of Moses, if you do break one, you break them all. And you have to understand that when Jesus was on the earth in the flesh, in the Gospels, he was not living under the context of the New Testament. He was living under the context of the Old Testament. Most people think it was the New Testament really doesn't start the new, it, because it's a new covenant, testament, contract, it doesn't happen until the shedding of blood, and that happens at the cross. And so that doesn't start until after the resurrection, the cross and resurrection in the book of Acts. And so during the gospel, when Jesus was living and operating, he operated under the boundaries of the old covenant. And that's why he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He lived under the context of the law. So they asked him, what's the number one commandment? And he said something very interesting. He said, I'll give you two. They had to perk their ears up. Because if you have two, that's not as many as Moses had received. They thought they had them. And he said, I'll give you two. And those two are basically this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Upon these two commandments, everything is hinged. Everything. You won't commit adultery with your neighbor's spouse if you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You won't steal from somebody if you love them the way you love yourself. You won't, you won't run them down and ridicule them and try to crush your spirit if you love them like you love yourself yes, yes. two commandments love God love people that, that's amazing he stopped them in their tracks how do you argue that because no matter they say well what about this he could say it's in that <laughs> you would never do that but some of us I'll say it this way. We like to hack the system. Whatever the rules are, okay. And then my brain goes, how can I get around the boundaries? I know nobody else does this. Because just, maybe it's, I don't know why. Help me, Jesus. But 
when, I, when I'm exposed to boundaries, I really want to know, if, was that a real good boundary, or is that just somebody spouting off a boundary, or is that somebody... You know, now I'm not condoning this person, but he did say it, and so I'm going to give him credit for it. Steve Jobs, who had a lot of worldly personal issues, right? But he was brilliant in computers. But in his, in his biography, he made a comment, the day he remembered when the world was being ran by people that weren't as smart as he thought they were. So just because someone says it, and maybe that's where, I'm just kind of dialoguing right now. I think maybe that's where I get this idea that we've, in the church world, or in Hope Church we've done, and that is challenge everything. Maybe see how that played out. Because that's just my natural tendency. I challenge things. You have to do this, you shouldn't do that. I want to know why. I'm going to look deeper into it. Is that a real deal or just someone just, they were bored or having a power trip and they just started spouting off stuff that they themselves don't do? So I'm just not that type of get in line type of person. Maybe you are. I see a long line at a grocery store. I'm looking for the shorter line. I'm not looking for the popular line. I'm trying to figure out how to get around what everybody else is doing that I don't think is right. I I just, I am looking to hack things. And you know, when you start listing stuff, human nature is we're going to figure out what's in between those things and say that we haven't violated it because it's not listed. Come on, come on. I, love, I love talking to attorneys, you know what I mean, because they, they get into that in contract. And I've done, I've written contracts, contract law. Uh, and so, it, you know what I mean, it, if it's not spelled out a certain way, people can say, I didn't do that because it says over here, don't kill somebody. I just brought them near death. It's okay. I didn't cross, I brought it to the boundaries. I know none of you ever do that. But no matter what the list is, you can always try to work around it. But if you work off the motivation, this heartbeat, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor. As you love yourself. When you're in that rhythm, you won't say, oh, I know, I, you know, I mean, I'm doing something wrong, but it's not as bad as what other people are doing. Why? Because we have a mental thing of how to qualify ourselves to do something we know is wrong by getting around it, trying to hack the system. But Jesus said, listen, I'm going to give you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's one of the things we can be doing until then? Keep it real. Keep it simple. Love God. Don't act or look like you love God. Really love God. Not just based on an emotional feeling because emotional feelings come and go. There's days that you don't feel you love Jesus, and there's days you don't think you feel saved, but that doesn't mean anything. Or you, There's days you don't feel that he's even around, but that doesn't mean anything, because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But Jesus said, if you love me, then do what I ask you to do. Love God. Now, the only problem with that is, again, we have to work in this context that as we love God, he's going to show you how to love and help you how to love him and other people. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And so it's not a matter of me or somebody else coming to you and saying, I just got saved, what do I need to do? Well, here's 5,000 things you need to do. And in the church world, that happens a lot. 
Someone comes from the altar, they just get saved, and they turn around and sister so-and-so who's been saved for 300 years and knows everything except for how to pluck those hairs out of her chin. And, and they begin to criticize and ridicule and judge, and they're the ultimate attitude, judgment, correction. Come on, somebody. And they just sit there with their arms crossed, and they just look for you to do something wrong so that they can begin to tell people or tell you, you need to do this, you need to do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you got to do all that. And we weigh people down, and they get overwhelmed, and they walk away saying, I can't live this life. It's because they're not living it out of God's love and God's ability. They're trying to fit in the fear of man to get approval of people. And all of us deal with that. All of us want to post something on TikTok, Instagram, uh, whatever it might be, Facebook, Twitter, you, or X, excuse me, and all of a sudden, and want people to like and follow. There's that certain adrenaline kick that we get, uh, that, that gets us feeling accepted and validated. And I get it, and that's real. That's real for all of us. But the danger zone is when we begin to live for the approval of other people, and not for the approval of God. Because you can convince everybody that you're doing right and you lie to them because you're committing adultery and you won't tell nobody. But God sees everything. It's about loving God and not being overwhelmed with man. Loving God and not being overwhelmed with, with people. Because people are judgmental. In the church world, not here, other churches. Here, we're, we're known for loving and accepting people. But they're in the church tendency, people can be judgmental. And it's not like it doesn't say in the Bible, ju don't judge other people. It does say that. Judge yourself, lest you be judged. With the judgment you judge, others, you know, God was going to turn it back to you. Well, it, you know, it does, yeah, it really does say not to do that. But the super spiritual people are the ones that, and I'm not saying everything goes. But I'm saying if our motivation is, I want to please the Lord. When you do something wrong, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit will convict you. And you can't lie to the presence of God. He knows. And he'll stay with you about that until you're just like, I, am, I don't want this. And he'll say, okay, I'll, then I won't convict you of it. You're on your own without me. But if we love God, keep our conscience clear. Then when then if something goes wrong, he's going to deal with us. And then we repent, First John 1, 9. And love people. Say love people. Another thing that, have you heard this one? The Great Commission. If I love people, I want to help people. If I love people, until then, until we get to eternity, you know what will change? Listen to me, my friend. Do you want to know how to bring excitement back to your walk with God? Because if you've been saved for any length of time and you don't learn this, you will lose sight and it, you will literally dry up. Yeah. It's like the Dead Sea. The reason the Dead Sea is dead is because it has water coming in but nothing going out. Right. When your spiritual walk is only about what you receive, you hinder your development. Doesn't mean you won't grow. You'll grow at the beginning. You'll grow at the beginning, but there's a cap somewhere. Not created by God, created by you. A lot of people in the church world get enough 
to sedate their pain in life from God, and then they're off doing their own thing until they're in a painful situation, and then they come running back to church to get sedated and feel good and comforted about from God, and then they go back out, and they never, they never enjoy the John 10, 10 dynamic life that Jesus said, I've come that you might have the God quality of life. The zoe is the Greek word quality of life. Why? Because it's all about them and they just enough to keep them happy and then they go out until they need something from God. And they treat God like he's their pimp or their drug dealer. But there is a quality of life when you begin to lose sight that it's not all about me. It's all about loving God and pleasing him. And letting him use me to help other people. You're blessed to be a blessing. What you're receiving is flowing through you. You begin to open your eyes to see the harvest. That the, hey, there's people that God can use you to bless, to encourage, to invite the church, to pray with. Just sometimes, just to be kind to people is almost earth-shattering in this day and age. We're media, and the algorithms of the social that we all use on a regular basis, has literally been designed. It's been proven. They, they talk about it now, the early programmers, how they've designed these to keep you in the loop and to keep you taking you down the rabbit hole to the place where you begin to see everybody in a certain way. And it's divisive. It's created anger, created fear. It's not of God. I hate those people. They all want, how do you know? You haven't talked to any of them. All we know is what we're being told by somebody behind the scenes that's trying to be a puppet master. But God tells us to love people and to reach out and disciple them and teach them and help them into the greatest life that God has for us. Mm. Love God. Love people. Reach out. Love God. Love people. And reach out. Let me read you a verse. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Notice this. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Another parable Jesus put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Stay with me for the next five, five, ten minutes. The parable, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed. The word seed is used on many different parables, and it actually means different things based on the parable that Jesus is referring to. Seed can refer to money. Seed, in Matthew 13 earlier, is referring to the word Seed is also later in this chapter referred to as the children of the kingdom. But in the mustard seed context, the interesting thing about the science of mustard seed, do you know a mustard seed cannot be genetically modified? There is no such thing as a hybrid mustard seed. So if you're talking about people... You're talking about the word, you talk about life, whatever, when the kingdom of God and the mustard seed, faith, whatever, it, 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 you have to understand that the context of a mustard seed, it can't be fragmented and benefit anybody. 
When we take the word of God, when we take the destiny of God, and we begin to fragment it and hybrid and make it a hybrid, genetically modified seed based on what the world's doing and what we can do and what God can do, and we mix it and say, okay, this is a little bit of the world and this is a little bit of God, I'm going to put them together, and I'm going to put it together, and it's going to be something, and it's nothing. You cannot have a hybrid mustard seed. I'll leave you that. Think about that later. But one thing we know about the mustard seed is that it is least of all seeds. It is least of all seeds. Let me say it this way. Appearance means nothing when it comes to God. Little boy's lunch, mm, I'll feed a lot of people with it. Little boy's lunch, I'll do a lot. A little bit of oil, you're going to have so much to sell and pay all your, all your debt Plus, what you didn't even ask for, you're going to live on the rest, said the prophet of God to the widow woman. Why? Because what it looks like is not what it is. It might be what it is in your hand, but with God involved, what it looks like is being redefined by the power of God, though it might seem insignificant. So I'm going to use the mustard seed as not only an offering or the word or the children. I'm going to use the mustard seed as your life. And I want, want you to know that the tactic of the enemy is to devalue you. Sin is not there for your pleasure, though there is pleasure in sin for the, a season. The Bible says that. There is, there is pleasure in sin for a short season, but it costs you more. It costs you more, the old phrase is it costs you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It is an entrapment to something. And what most people, the devil will never tell you that he's robbing from you is not only the presence of God and your destiny, he's robbing you of your dignity. Because people that live in sin they don't recognize it, but they'll begin to see it over time. Their own self-value begins to depreciate. Why? Because if you see yourself as insignificant, you'll never do anything great for God. Even after you repent. There's a lot of people that know that God's forgiven them, but they can't forgive themselves. And the devil reminds them, and that's why Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walks not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is no condemnation. Why? Because God wants to not only forgive you, he wants to remove that penalty off your mind so you can begin to see how he sees you. All right, this is what, it's starting to get real. When the preacher walks right down at your face, you know it's starting to get real. Because what the enemy's tactic is against your life is not that he can stop you, but if he can talk you out of doing anything for him, for God, then you'll sit by and say, well, at least I didn't kill anybody. At least I didn't hurt nobody. But that question is not what negative haven't you done. The question is what positive have you done for the kingdom of God? And the devil will not tell you you can't. He'll tell you that you can't because you're not important enough. How could God use you? Why would God ever use you? Catherine Kuhlman, one of the greatest healing revivalists of our generation, actually two generations now, she's been gone for a while. But one of the things that she had as she approached God, she felt God uh, touch her life and she said, Lord, I have nothing to offer you.
This is her words. I am not a good speaker. I am not good looking. I have no skills. I have no ability. I have nothing to offer you but my heart and my life. And if you can use me, I give you everything. Praise God for skills. Praise God for, for gifts. Praise God for abilities. But sometimes, that's why Paul says, I got to consider all that stuff is done. Why? So I obtain what God called me. Because some of those great things that become easy, that you get applauded for, sometimes can be an issue to hinder you from the destiny of God. Because you begin to look and say, oh, this is as far as I come. I can't go any farther. But you have to understand, in the hand of God, your appearance is not defining significance. God said, if you give me all of you in my hand, I will do more through you than you could ever consider. Because you can't love people if you don't love yourself. Hate people, hate people. Hurt people, hurt people. And God says, listen, I'm going to do something that's amazing. Listen, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to take this mustard seed that looks, looks insignificant, but in my hand, it's going to blow your mind. What am I telling you? Never let the devil define for you your destiny by the reflection of the mirror on your wall. Let God define your destiny by the reflection, James says, of the mirror of his word in your life. But I failed many times. Well, I'm telling you, get back up. For Proverbs says that the righteous falls seven times, but gets up every time. If you fall, get back up. If you stumble, get back up. If you mess up, get back up. If you didn't do it right, get back up. If you screwed it up, get back up. When everything falls, get back up. Get back up. Look to your neighbor. Say, get back up. Hallelujah. The size of the mustard seed does not determine the potential of the mustard seed in the right. hand of God. Right. Right. Let's throw that verse up on the screen. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 32. Okay, well they're not playing with me so I'm going to just go. See, this, the appearance of the mustard seed. The Come on, talk to me. Say, the appearance of the mustard seed. Say, the appearance of the mustard seed. Do me a favor. Grab them. Since they're not going to work with me, I'll work with them. Is this okay? Thank you. I don't need the media team now. Which is indeed, verse 32, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, see, I got some growing to do. I don't care how long you've been around, you got some growing to do. How long you've been saved, we got some growing to do. Just don't look at the young ones and say, you got a lot of growing to do. We all have a lot of growing to do. My philosophy is we all have a lot of growing. How do you know when you don't have any more growing to do? You're in heaven. 
when you, and Enoch did it, he grew to a place and walked with God and then he wasn't. So as long as you can pinch yourself and you feel it and people make you mad and you're on this side of eternity, we all have some growing to do. Come on, somebody. But notice it says, which indeed is least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs. God's kingdom is not designed for you to be diminished. God's kingdom is designed for you to excel. Amen. The, people, the problem that people have with what they call and have tagged as the prosperity gospel is they don't understand when they're negative about it because the idea is that prosperity gospel means I'm greedy and it's all about materials. And that's really not what it's about. Prosperity, is, prosperity means success. And so the, what it's saying is that if you serve God, he will reward you. Where did I get that from? The Bible. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Given it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, run it over, shall return. What's happening? When you obey God, serve God, you will eat the good of the land. That's, the Bible's filled with hundreds and hundreds of scriptures. Now, have people abused that? Sure. Absolutely. And they begin to look at others as their source for them to live like the rich and famous. And God doesn't mind you having stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. But the biggest problem is not the stuff. The biggest problem is the accused, the people that are accusing or attacking, really, it shows their motivation. Because if they were blessed, they know what they would do with it. And so it has capped the potential and growth of people because they're afraid if I, if I ha am too successful or too visible or too blessed that I'm going to draw attention to myself. And Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, confirms, confirms that. Jesus said, anybody who gives uh, money to, or, or lands or properties or anything to me and the gospel will receive a hundredfold in this life those things they gave right. with persecution exactly. and a life to come, eternal life. Why do you get persecution? Because when you stand out, other people are going to see you. Yeah. And they're not going to like it. We all have been there. You got a raise and you called your best friend and you're so excited about your raise. You're like, oh, I got a great day. I got a raise today. And they get mad at you because they just lost their job. And it's not fair for you to get a raise and they just lost their job. Or they haven't got a raise in 10 years. I don't know why you got a raise. I've never gotten a raise. People aren't always happy because you're happy. People aren't going to be always happy because you're growing. But don't let people define the ceiling of your potential. Say, look to your neighbor and say, keep growing. Come on, say, keep growing. Say, keep growing. Verse two, 32 again, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs. I want you to notice something very interesting. You, how do you know if something's great? You have to compare it. But that's almost in conflict because we know we're not supposed to compete against other people but greatness is not defined by the people around you greatness is defined by what God's doing on the inside of you but here's what I want to draw attention to there's a point and a purpose for the victory that God has for you and you're loving him and loving people and helping people there's a reason for it and this is where a lot of people in and we're not taking up another offering, so just chill out. But this is where a lot of people, again, don't understand the benefit of victory that God brings in your life. Because they only think that blessing or success or victory are things that you are getting for yourself. 
other people understand that that success or that platform or that business victory or whatever it might be becomes a tool to help you help others. You can't give what you don't have. Look at all those poor people that are displaced in, in Hawaii. Somebody needs to do something. Why do we say that? Because we're not in a position to do something. Right. But if we get to a place of being in position to do something, guess what? God speaks to your heart. You can do something. Right, right. Look at this verse. Least of all the seeds, but it's grown and it is greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Notice the behind the scene purpose of this. God doesn't mind you having stuff. He just doesn't want stuff to have you. Here's a, here's a bigger picture, though. Are you ready? This is about the kingdom. That God wants you to become great in the kingdom, just not for you, but that you become a benefit to others. Amen. Notice this. Three things I want you to notice. Number one, the benefit of the tree, it became a tree. Didn't stay as an herb. It became a tree. It became something greater than, and it didn't become a tree after, until it reached the greatness of all the herbs. So there was something greater than the greatest. You know what struggles in the world is we're trying to be great, but there's something greater than the greatest. If I can begin to understand what's behind, what's after the greatest. I just watched a documentary about this high school and college football player who excelled in high school. Went to Texas A&M and freshman year, dominated, got the Heisman, got sidetracked with drugs and alcohol and money and all this stuff. And he said at the, at the peak of his success, he had visibility, he had money, he had drugs, he had everything at the peak of it. He goes, that's when I was the most empty. Why? Because he had misunderstood what success was about. Yeah. He thought success was about there to gratify him. And he found that the greater he got, the empty he felt. Yes, A documentary, I love watching people's lives because you can learn if people can be honest. Do, do you, have you ever watched SNL? Yeah. You don't have to raise your hands. At the early stages of Saturday Night Live, they had no idea how successful they had become. And one of the original cast, she said that they had no idea. They were just, they were kicking these things out. They were, they were just working, bam, bam. And when they had their first public event, they had no idea the success that they were having. Yeah. The early days. They were just doing what they knew to do. They were doing good. They had, you know what I mean? And, and their recording site, it was a small setup of people. But when they got out to an outside venue, the people come, massive thousands of people came. And she made an interesting comment. She said, it kept growing. We became more and more successful. And she goes, the more success we had and the more people that were coming to, our, to one of our comedy shows, she said, the more smaller and empty I felt. You wouldn't think it would work that way. It does on the world side. It doesn't do it on the God side. God said, I'll, I'll give you power to get wealth and I'll add no sorrow to it. Amen. Why? Because you learn 
in loving him and loving people, that success is just not so that you can have everything to gratify you and about your wants and desires. You still have to teach and tell yourself no. You're like, I'm so successful, I get everything you want. You're on the path to destruction. But you begin to see that the platform is just not for you, it's to make a difference. Notice, it was, after, it was after the mustard seed became an herb and became the greatest of all the herbs, then it became a tree. There's something after, not only great, there's something even after greatest. Then it became a tree. And what was the purpose of the tree? Are you ready? It was to help those created by God but look nothing like the tree we want to help people that look like us and God said I'll use you to help people that have nothing to do with your history but you come you become an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people mm. stay with me we're trying to close we're circling the airport. We have a runway. Becomes a tree so that the birds of the air, notice that verse, that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. One translation says, come and make nest. Now let me ask you this. Why do birds make nest? Some of you can. Why do birds make nests? They just don't randomly make nests. We see them make nests. But why does a bird make nests? A bird makes nests because it's preparing to see what it's holding on the inside. It's looking to, for a place to birth what is already. Oh, come on, somebody. What am I telling you? You want to know one of the things Hope Church is? It's a, it's a landing place. For people that have caught the heart of God, for people who've caught the vision of God, the people that birthed, the, that have something on the inside they know is from God, and they're flying around looking for a place. I don't need a place that looks like me. I don't need a place that sounds like, I just need a place to, to build a nest. When you begin to live your life, well, Lord God use me to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing. Because God's got people he's created with a destiny, with a gifting, with a purpose. And they're looking for somebody that says, I'll be glad to help you. It's not for everybody, but it's for the somebodies that God will show you as a tree. And you're just open and you're saying, wait a minute, here I am. If you got something burning on the inside that you know you have to get out, come build your nest with me. And I'll, I'll make a place for you to have a nest so that you can release what God has on the inside of you. Do you see that? All of a sudden, the greatness is not, look at me and how many followers I got. The greatness is not, look how many people like me. The greatness is not, look how many people are listening to me. The greatness is not, look how much money I have. And praise God for all those things. But if that's the high goal, you're going to get to the goal and be so empty. Because you forgot that that's not the greatness. Greatness comes after the greatest, and that greatness comes when God says, now I want you to grow to a place that I can send people to you that need 
what you have to birth what I've given them. Oh my goodness. Didn't have to go find another bird. It just needs what you have so that they can release and birth what God has given them. It's not for them to show up and you tell them how to fly and how to look. Oh, God wants to use what you have, church, so that they can birth what God's given them. But I don't really, I don't, that's not my ministry thing. It doesn't have to be your ministry thing. It's their ministry thing. All you're doing is giving them a place, something that you have, the presence of God, the anointing of God, the Word of God, so that they can birth what God's placed on the inside of them. What do we do until then? We keep loving God and letting God use us to love people in a way that they become and go into and step into and release the destiny that God has for them. Do you see that? We are in the last of the last days, but that doesn't mean dig a hole and go hide. That doesn't mean get in fear. That means wake up, open your eyes, look to the harvest field, for it's ripe, it's ready. It's right. It's ready. And God will use you in a church building, outside a church building. What, what are you doing? You're helping people. Yeah. Available to be, help people. Say with me. Say, God, use me God, to help somebody today. You make that part of your morning prayer. Watch what happens. You begin to look for not a bad phone call or a bad report or someone attacking you or who's going to hurt you next. You begin to say, God, I'm looking for you to do something amazing through me. No matter what the magnitude. I want to be used by you to help people birth what you have placed on the inside of them, that gift, that ministry, that calling, whatever it might be. And you'll begin to see God use you. And you begin to experience a life like you've never, ever had before. Because it's just not about you. It's all about him. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap for praise. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, with no no one looking around, you say, Pastor, when I ask you, is Jesus Christ real to you? Can you say, yes, he is, Pastor? Or is it a question of, I don't know? In the way that you process what you experience, do you know for a fact that Jesus is real to you in a way that you understand? Only you can answer that. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a real deal. It's a life on the inside of you. I'm going to pray a prayer in a few seconds. Revelation 3, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open up, I'll come in. Romans 10 says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's with the heart man believes in the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, I never heard the gospel, that God loved the world who was already condemned, but he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, who came in the flesh. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to live this life. I want to experience God. I want to know him. I want to go to heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, 
Let this prayer come from your heart. Say with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I turn to you today. I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me. Say, forgive me, wash me in your blood, cleanse me, give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I open up the door of my heart and life, and I invite you in to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. And everyone said, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, just so I know who I was praying with, I want to speak a blessing over your life. At the count of three, you prayed that prayer meant business with Jesus. You're like, well, does that mean if, that if I don't raise my hand, I'm not saved? No, not at all. But I will tell you that if you're not willing to raise your hand in front of people who are celebrating Jesus in your life, how do you stand up for Jesus in the world who does not celebrate Jesus at all? So to me, this creates a, a, something that I believe is, is so badly needed in the church world global, and that's a tenacity to stand up for God regardless of the cost. We definitely don't want to get to heaven and, and talk to people who gave their lives as martyrs for the gospel. And when Jesus said, hey, I asked you to stand up for me, and your answer was, but they might laugh at me. They might not follow me on my social. They might not like me anymore. If that's the worst thing we deal with, So to count of three, if you prayed that prayer and you mean business with the Lord, that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I know I'm saved now from that prayer we just prayed. If that's you, the count of three, and I want everybody looking around because this is a system of not, I want you to get comfortable saying, I'm going to stand up for Jesus in front of people. And if you're like, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you, and I want you to know I'm, I'm saved because I just prayed. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. One, two, three. Pastor, that was me. Who was our praying? I see the hand. God bless you. Keep it up. I see the hand. Keep it up. Second, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, sixth hand, seven, eight. Keep it up. Nine. God bless you. Keep it up. Ten. God bless you. Keep it up. Eleven. Thank you, sir. Keep it up. Twelve. Thirteen. Fourteen. Fifteen. Sixteen. Thank you. Keep it up. Seventeen. Eighteen. Nineteen. God bless you. Keep it up. Twenty. Come on. 21, 22, 23. Come on, come on, come on. Keep your hands up. Stretch your hands towards somebody that's nearby. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak a blessing over everyone that just prayed that prayer that gave their heart to you. I thank you, Father God. Thank you that their sins are forgiven. They are right with you. And according to your word, I ask you to strengthen them with might by your Holy Spirit in their inner person. That when they walk out of this place, that they'll not only know they're saved, but they will have that strength, that tenacity to stand up for you, to live for you, to not bend their knee to pressure or to sin or temptation. Now, any weapon used against them in the past, any relationship set against them to hold them back or just deter or deny them from their walk with you, I curse and bind it in the name of Jesus. Send the right people in their path. Father, we thank you. We thank you. You have sealed them with the Holy Spirit, I promise. We thank you, Father God, for the work you've started in their life today, that you will complete it, that they allow you. And we give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.